This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, here we go. It's our favorite point of the week. It's Wednesday, a little after 1 o'clock Eastern. That means time for our man from ESPN, the one and only Greg Wyshynski. How are you, sir? How are you? Congratulations to Rucker McGrordy, named captain for the 2024 mm-hmm. U.S. World Junior Championship team. Rucker McGrordy, a Jets prospect. That team, uh, sure. That team looks so good. That team looks so good, man. <laughs> USA looks awesome. Look, it's been a good uh, run for you guys. But, you know, it's... It, Team I mean, Canada's like between we got, you know, years. Matt Poitra and know. You know, Poitra and Owen Beck returning and sure. Poitra's there between, now. Between, between juniors, the whatever the hell they're going to call the fake World Cup, and then the Olympics in 26. <laughs> we, I, we've been doing this show for like over a yeah. decade now. And, you know, I've been, I've been waiting over a decade to finally have this moment. Um, it's going to be great. They haven't played a game yet, I know, but, man, USA looks... I'll tell you, you know who I'm most interested in watching in this tournament? Cutter Goche. Who's that? Sure. That's the guy, I, I, like, it, it, just, it just feels to me like Cutter Goche is going to rip this tournament apart, and then we'll mm-hmm. see what happens with the Philadelphia Flyers and him. Because I don't know, yeah. it feels like it feels it feels weird, doesn't it? Like with Cutter Goche and the the Flyers, like anytime I talk to anybody about Cutter Goche, it's always like, oh yeah, you know, well, yeah, we'll see, yeah, oh yeah, no, everything's good, no, it's all cool, oh, you know, it's, ah, we'll see what's going. I, it's, what's going on? <laughs> like, do you get that yeah, same well, feeling about but, but, uh, about the Flyers and one of their top prospects? But in fairness, that was before they were a playoff team, and now they're a playoff team. Like it's 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 night and day. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I was just doing the podcast before with Ardo Cal, the Drop, our, our show, and he made the point. Yes. Did the are the Flyers who the Sabers thought they'd be this year? <laughs> like that's an interesting one. I, I I think the Sabers probably thought they'd be a little bit more dynamic offensively than the Flyers are. But as far as like early season success and picking up points and, and looking like you belong. I, I think the, the Flyers yeah. might be who the, the Sabres thought they'd be. The The only difference is, though, that's an interesting one from Arda. Boy, did I have a funny text exchange with Arda the other day. I'll, I'll share that with you later on in this conversation. It was awesome. It was so hilarious. Um, but um, the thing about are the Flyers who the Sabres thought that they would be, I would say in one sense, no, because I still think a lot of us look at this and say, okay, when's it going to burst? Like, when's it going to explode? Like, the Flyers are punching above their weight here. And listen, you know, uh, last week Danny Briere was on the show and I was hitting him with all these different, you know, possibilities. And, you know, you're in the playoff picture come trade deadline time and someone offers you something for Walker and Sealer. You know, what are you doing? And listen, like, I think the Briere and Jones have their their eyes on what this thing is all about. And if they get an offer that they like for two guys on expiring contracts, well, guess what? Playoffs or not, if Briere and Jones get what they want, then, you know, and I think even Dan Hilferty would have bobblehead this one, they're gone. <laughs> um, whereas if it were the Buffalo Sabres, I would think that people would look at them and say, you know what, they're ready for this next step in their development because all of them have already grabbed an oar and have already been rowing for a number of years uh, and are finally there and are going to be there for a while. Like, I think there's an element of people looking at Philadelphia, not like they're a mirage or a hoax or something, but they're looking at it saying, okay, this is really good, but this isn't real, right? Like, you can't, like, this isn't a rebuild 
Because if it is, then find me an owner around the NHL that won't sign up for that. You know what I mean? I think I think the problem is that they are they are real, but what they'll ultimately be is a team on the bubble. Because here's and it's funny, like there's always been this this perception of John Tortorella as the coach that you can't have during a rebuild because of how angry he is and impatient he is. And he'll just bench all the young players, right? And there's some truth to that. But the real reason you can't have John Tortorella around a rebuild is because his team will be 23rd in scoring, it'll be ninth defensively, and it will be within a few points of a playoff spot. And that's not how you rebuild. But that's a John Tortorella team, isn't it? It is. But I've okay, I've thought a lot about this over the past couple of years with Tortorella. And specifically, I thought a lot about this. I think a lot of us have about what this is and is John Tortorella the right coach for a rebuild? Um, and I think the answer is it depends. If you want a coach that's just going to be there as the team bottoms out and, you know, picks up, you know, Macklin Celebrini uh, and swings back and gets a little bit better next season and then Mitchkov shows up and, well, again, we'll see what happens with Cutter Goche, um, then he is the wrong coach because he's not going to be your basement coach. He's not going to be your traditional rebuild coach that he he's there for all the yeah. lean years. And yeah, he doesn't know how to. But the other thing, so I've thought a lot about this and, and more people that I talk to, not just in the Philadelphia Flyers organization, but other organizations too, will tell you that what John Tortorella does is, and I think this is really important for a rebuild, he finds out who really wants to be there. I think he <laughs> tests them. And to me, the first time we saw this was with Cam York. Remember last mm -hmm. season, we all thought Cam York was starting the season with the Philadelphia Flyers. Who was a surprise cut? Cam York. What? Cam York, first-round draft pick, is going to Lehigh Valley? And Torts was very public about ripping him and tearing apart his game. And if he wants to come back up here, he needs to learn blah, 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 blah. And we all kind of went, whoa. Look at, is, is this like, like Mike Keenan used to always do this. He would go into a room and find the power base and tear it apart. And right. you look at Tortorella and you say, is this just like Mike Keenan 2.0? But what it really is, is John Tortorella trying to figure out who's going to be here, who's going to last and who wants to be here. Because as you'll remember, when Cam York came back up, I think it was like 20 games at Lehigh, he came back up and what did Tortorella do? After every game, whether he was asked about Cam York or not, he went out of his way to praise him. Because the kid went down to Lehigh and did exactly what Tortorella wanted. And I guess in a sense proved to him that over the long term, this guy belongs. So maybe he, I keep going back about, is he good for rebuild? Is he bad for rebuild? Well, if you want Macklin Celebrini, he's bad. But if you want to figure out who you have in your prospect pool and who you have in the minors and who's really legit and who's going to be able to gut it out and who's not going to keep calling his agent after every missed shift, then he's probably the right guy. And that, kids, is how Pierre-Luc Dubois left Columbus. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> no, but the other thing about Torts, too, you, you, you're mentioning, you know, places where he coached and stuff. But, like, uh, but like yeah. if, you, if you talk to the players who he's coached, especially the younger players, they'll all say this. I mean, not, not everybody's a fan, obviously. But, but they all kind yeah, of, of come back to the idea that he's that he's that jerk teacher that you had in high school. Like you didn't like the person and you didn't like having to do the assignments, but then you look back on your experience. You're like, well, now I know math. 
You know, like he's that guy where I've talked <laughs> to so many guys that have played well, torts that all say the same thing, which is that from my from a fundamental yeah. basis of defense and 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 you know understanding the assignment and things of that nature, there's a part of every player that's played for torts that he's made better. It doesn't mean that they actualized as good players. It doesn't mean that it didn't end in disaster in some cases, but they're, they all, they all do have mm-hmm. that moment. So that moment of praise for the guy to say his intentions were good. And I became a better player because of it. I, I think he's one of the most, you know, I, I always look at, you know, I listen, I'm, I'm doing this show from home and I have for what about three years now. And behind me is a huge bookshelf of, of, of books. And I always, you know, look at the NHL and I say to myself, okay, which coaches do I want to write a book? John Totorella is right up there around the top. Like when his career is, is, is done, like that's one guy that uh, I want to write a book. Like there's a few, Paul Maurice is another one. Um, <laughs> oh, there's, yeah. a, there's a number oh, of, of coaches and whether it's managers too, like there's a lot of people <laughs> that I want to, you know, read their books, but Torts is right up around the top. Isn't he for you? Two guys, the two guys I want to read books from, one, the Paul Maurice book, because I think it'd be the size of War and Peace. Like it would just be like, oh, yeah. it would just be so much, yeah. so much words, so many words. Uh, but the other one is, is the other one's John Cooper, man. And, and make it fiction, make it a, a Grisham, a dashing lawyer becomes the head coach of a professional hockey team and intrigue ensues. Like I'd read that book. Uh, 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 uh a book, um, written only by lawyers turned hockey people. So Jay Feaster gets the first couple of, uh, gets the first couple of chapters and then it gives way to, uh, to, to John Cooper as well. I can still uh, hear all the, all the cracks. And that's why I was so happy to see Tampa win that Stanley Cup because, you know, for so long, you know, features, oh, curbside lawyer. And then he wins in Hershey and it's, oh, AHL champion. Ah, curbside lawyer. Then he wins in the NHL. <laughs> it's a Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. Uh, and he's a Stanley Cup champion. And, you know, the, the Cooper thing is interesting too because whenever, whenever, anyone, whenever anyone behind the bench gets fired, what's the first person we always think of and make a point about? How does John Cooper endure? How is John Cooper still coaching when the message is supposed to be lost after three to four years? Ah, too much water in the wine. It's not as it's not as sharp and stinging the message anymore as it was when John Cooper first started here. He still endures. Do you have a thought on how he's been able to do it? Or is it just, well, if you want to be a good coach, have a good team? There's a bit of that. I think it's also his message endures because the players love playing the style that he plays and he's earned the trust and the support of his core, which is always huge. But so we've had four coach firings this season, right? Three of the four can track directly back to goaltending. He's had Andre Vasilevsky. (laughs) So, I mean, like it's who again has been Andre Vasilevsky up until this season. So when you have Andre Vasilevsky, not only in the regular season, but the playoffs, you're, you're going to stay in a job in a way that the guy who watched Anton Forsberg regress doesn't stay in a job or the guy who oversaw Gustafson regress yeah. doesn't stay in a job or the guy who had Skinner and Campbell doesn't stay in a job like that. You're going to stay in a job if you have Andre Vasilevsky. And that's not to that's not to diminish the job Cooper does. He's, he's for my money, the best coach in the league still. Um, and, and, and I think mm-hmm. the fact that he is so good uh, going back to his lawyer roots at 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 compelling people and, and getting his message across and communicating makes him stay in that job. Um, but boy, you're right. Like at the end of the day, it, it, it does help to have a core that can keep your team relevant through adversity. And it does help to have 
you know, mm-hmm. the best goalie in the world probably for the last decade. Show me a good goalie, I'll show you a good coach. Uh, we've talked yeah. about that plenty. Um, I think that point is well made. There are few uh, Jack Adams winners that don't have a good goalie. And there are a few coaches fired where the goaltender wins a Vesna. That just doesn't happen in the <laughs> NHL. Thank you very much. Now, speaking of coaches, <laughs> uh, I think we're all used to hearing the positive spins of Don Granado. That no matter what we may have just witnessed, Don Granado has always had an uncanny ability to put a positive polish on no matter what it was. He could always put a positive polish on something. Like, that's Don Granado. That's what we're used to. And then last night happened. And that was the first time I had heard Don Granado sound beaten. Now, I know his team was soundly beaten, 9-4 to at home. <laughs> Against the, Columbus, against the Columbus Blue Jackets, but that was the first time he sounded beaten. You know, like, I don't know, are we making too much of one game or is this a, just a culmination of a frustrating season by the Buffalo Sabres and, you know, the attendance has been bad. To your point, the goaltending uh, has been bad. Uh, you don't win Coach of the Year with bad goaltending. And I made the point earlier that maybe we should have seen this coming. When you put all three goalies together at the start of the season, they hadn't collectively played 100 games in the NHL. We all went along with the fairy tale story of Devin Levi, you know, not having to go to the American League and just coming in and standing on his head. Um, how do you see the Buffalo Sabres right now? And yesterday, for the first time, we heard the faint and haunting chance of fire Donnie. Now, Lindy Ruff heard that, and they went on a winning streak, and everyone calmed down, and they became sorry, Lindy. And Lane Lambert <laughs> heard that earlier this season with the New York Islanders, and it sounded like it might have been getting pretty close. But then the Islanders have turned things around, and listen, they've won, they've got, they have points in 15 of the last 17 now. We don't expect that from the Buffalo Sabres. What do you think of the Swords right now? So we did the coach's hot seat thing last week. And um, yeah, I talked to some people in Buffalo, and I was really surprised to find out that Don Donnie's hot seat wasn't as hot as I thought it was. Now, maybe it's, it's become quite hotter in the last week since then, but... I, I was asking, you know, should, should, where should he be in these tiers? Like, should he be closer to DJ Smith and Craig Berube, who were both on the list before they got fired? And I was told that, you know, no, no like, 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 like ownership likes him and Adams likes him and they don't want to fire a guy and pay someone that they to, to not work, you know, in Buffalo. And maybe there's a reassessment after the season, but, but like, he's, he's okay now. And, then I talked to somebody in the coaching community about him, and, and they said this, which kind of stuck with me, which is that at some point, the guy who has made his bones as being an expert teacher of young players and a guy who's giving the, the players what they need to build uh, into, into successful players and, and find structure and find confidence and everything else, well, at some point, the teaching stops. And at some point, these guys have to be able to take the test and pass the test. And they haven't. And so when the teaching's over and the guy still can't pass the test, you probably have to bring in another instructor, right? So, like, 
that's kind of where I am but, on Granada right now is that he might have been the right guy for a certain phase of this team. But now that the team is put together and now that the guys are a little bit older, you need to bring in somebody who can teach them how the hell to play defense because that's the real issue with this team in trying to bring in Devin Levi yeah. as a neophyte goaltender was expecting him to stand on his head behind a team that can't defend. So here's the problem with that. I'm not disagreeing with you, but here's the problem with that. Going back to 2017, if they bring in another coach, that'll be number five. It'll be Dan Bilesma, Phil Housley, Ralph Kruger, Don Granado, and Coach X. At a certain point, doesn't it have to stop? Like every time they hire a new coach, what do they always say in Buffalo? Okay, this is our guy, period. The coaching carousel stops. And now, here we are. Once again, talking about a new coach with the Buffalo Sabres. Spot quiz. Who was the last Buffalo Sabres coach to have a winning season? Spoiler and rough. hint. He's coaching, he's coaching in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 listen, I understand what you're saying. Okay, I understand what you're saying, and, and, and there is an argument to be made for consistency and for not trying to rock the boat too much. And you, and you will have guys in this roster who now will have p- played for a, a number of different coaches, guys like Skinner and Dullian that have been there for a while. That being said, you know, this is Cousins' only coach. This is J.J. Paterka's only coach. This is Owen Powers' only coach. This is Peyton Krebs' only coach. This is Devin Levi's only coach. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you have a number of players Mm -hmm. on this roster right now who only know Don Granado. So their world will not be rocked as as severely as some of the other guys in this roster for whom this will be coach number, you know, four. Yeah, listen, I, I get it. I, I understand it. It was uh, it was an interesting choice at the time, much like the the choice to to hire Kevin Adams um, as a rookie general manager uh, in the NHL was a was a choice um, in in the in, in the National League. And I think a lot of people have looked at the Buffalo Sabers now that like listen after you lose to Columbus like that at home uh, and your fans, whichever ones were left at that point, and there weren't a whole lot to start. If you saw pictures of. Uh, of of who showed up or who didn't show up for that game last night. Um, you know, everything's on the table now. All the decisions in the offseason. You know, the re-signing of Ocposo and Gergensons and Jost. Uh, bringing in Connor Clifton, bringing in Eric Johnson. Were these the right decisions? And, you know, did they do enough to help take this team to the next step? And maybe should they have gone out and gotten a goaltender? Well, everybody went along for the Devin Levi ride and the Devin Levi ride was fun and we all wanted it. We all wanted it to work. Listen, we we started off by talking about talking about how USA is going to whip everyone at the World Juniors. USA is an international powerhouse. USA is incredible. Like at every single level of hockey, the United States is amazing right now Uh, and that'll continue for a number of years. So as a Canadian hockey fan. I have a vested interest in the Buffalo Sabres not screwing up Devin Levi. Thank you very much. <laughs> but one of the stories of the Buffalo Sabres is rushing goaltenders, whether it's Lukanen or whether it's Devin Levi. I'm sorry. You have a goal. Unless there is something very unique about that goaltender, and Levi has not shown that, 
you need to spend time well, in the American League and not just take the bus to Belleville, play a couple of games for Roch, and then come <laughs> back and say, my head's on straight and I've figured it all out. That's not the way it works. If you believe Roch. in magic, that's that works. But in the real world, <laughs> that doesn't work. Um, well, I mean, they thought they thought of like a five-game audition last year was going to be applied to a 60 game like run for him this year. <laughs> and and to answer your question, they have a veteran goalie. That's the problem. They, they all, they liked Comrie. They thought, they thought they were going to, you know, run him back this year and he how, could be the veteran hang on a sec. to the younger but, guys, but he stinks. But, but He's one in five with a guilt Com- against over four. Comrie hasn't played going into the season. How many games did, did, did Eric Comrie play in the NHL? He played on more teams you know, almost he played on almost more teams than he has wins in the NHL. Did he? he all three but, goaltenders combined didn't have a hundred games experience. So what? So you're you're you? I talk, I remember talking at some Buffalo radio station at the end of last season, doing like a post mort on the team. Like, yeah, they were thinking Jonathan Quick comes in. Now at the time, we didn't know Jonathan Quick was going to, you know, go into the Lazarus pit and, and get resurrected as a, as a Vesna winner again. <laughs> but like. But like, like, who yeah. did you want for the for the Sabers to come in and and be Levi's tutor or or tandem guy? Like, who was the guy? Did you have somebody? No, I didn't. No, yeah. I didn't. But I'm not the general manager of the Buffalo Sabers either. Look, look, let, but I think let's that, it back. But I think okay, the, the going the going like going in with this with this three headed monster is 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 kind of ridiculous, and it's blowing up in their face. Nobody likes it. No one's no one. And you know when teams really don't like it when they're losing. And trust sure. me, right now in Buffalo, everybody everybody's pointing fingers at everybody else. Everyone everybody is miserable is. in Buffalo. Right it's now. Bad. more more miserable than they usually are in Buffalo right now. But look, look, the, the problem is this with with this team: it, the goaltending is what it is. But I still say that the problem with the team is what is happening in front of the goaltending. Like, uh, and and to to like defend Adams for a second, everyone praised the Clifton signing or the the Clifton acquisition. Like everyone loved it. No one knew he was going to be this bad. He's not been great at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the blue line is a problem. And if you take take your inspiration from from successful teams, take your inspiration from Vancouver, who made some tweaks to their blue line, solidified it, and was able to use it to kind of build out and become a, a much better defensive team. I think if you improve the blue line in Buffalo, and and some of that will be the maturation of players like Power, but if you improve the blue line in Buffalo, your goaltending is going to be better for it. Um, and, and, but again, the, the, the problems defensively for this team go well beyond the blue line. The problems defensively for this team extend to the fact that you've got a couple of really, really great offensive players, dynamic offensive players yep. that don't necessarily want to play defense and that's okay. They're great. We love watching them. But if you're asking me where the deficiencies on this team are, it's maybe a lack of commitment overall to defense by the top of the roster to the bottom of the roster. Use that to transition to the Colorado Avalanche. And yesterday they lose a tough one to the Chicago Blackhawks. Connor Bedard, excellent in the game with a pair of assists. Uh, and Peter Morazic did what Peter Morazic needed to do. And the Chicago Blackhawks, Team 32, beat the uh, team that's uh, one year removed from winning the Stanley Cup. And afterwards, Devon Taves pretty much called out his teammates. Now, we've seen players, this, we saw Kyle Poso call out teammates as well. 
Um, it's becoming much more of a thing. Once upon a time in the NHL, you did not do that, uh, at least not publicly. But now we're seeing it, and Devon Taves did it last night. You know, when when they moved uh, Tomas Tatar to uh, to Seattle, I think a lot of people around the league said, okay. What does Colorado have up their sleeve? They must have another move here, or they're setting themselves up for another move here. And it's Colorado, so you know it's going to be big. But what do you make of the Avalanche right now? Like that was we talk how much about Buffalo and how much that was a big one losing to Columbus last night. Losing to Chicago was a tough one for Colorado. Wish that was a real tough one. My my reaction to that is. Uh... 90% of the league wishes they had those problems. Yeah, they're 4-5-1 and one in their last 10. They're also a team with 40 points in 32 games, sitting second in the Central Division right now, although Dallas does have two games in hand. They're going to be okay. The uniqueness of the call-out last night by Devon Taves was the, the specificity of it. It was him saying, mm. there are guys that think they're playing well who aren't and that is different than like we got to give more effort that's different than like we got to go to the dirty areas that's like an ego check that's what made it so fascinating to me like that's a that's a you think you're good because you've been good but actually you're not and i don't think i've really heard that voiced in that way by someone on the record calling out their team of you not like that, but it did yeah. harken back to the, the Fred Shiro contribution story, which I've gone over, I think, a couple of different times with you. You know that one? Tell me more. Okay, so Fred Shiro in the 70s. So he's coaching the Philadelphia Flyers. This is when the Flyers were on top of the NHL, whipping everyone, winning two Stanley Cubs, MVP for Bernie Perron. Everyone's getting to know Bobby Clark, Barber, like everybody, okay? It's a murderer's row, and they think about Dave Schultz and 472 Pims, and, like, it's a wild team. And they're tops of the NHL, and they go into Pittsburgh on a Saturday night. This one, Pittsburgh was, like, the worst team in the league, and they get whipped by the Penguins. And the next day at practice, uh, not a single puck hits the ice. And Shiro just has him doing down and backs for an hour. And the tongues are hanging out. And, uh, 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 and they get back into the dressing room. And Shiro walks in and says, you know, you guys, I heard you last night coming off the ice onto the bench uh, after your shifts and saying, oh, I made a contribution. I made a contribution. I did something. I made a contribution. And he goes, that's BS. And he walks up to the chalkboard and he draws a plate and he draws two eggs and three strips of bacon. And he says, <laughs> boys, this is what I had for breakfast. And this tells you everything I expect out of you as a Philadelphia Flyer. The guys are looking around like, holy smokes. Like, we know his nickname is The Fog, but I guess now we understand why. And he goes, boys, I had bacon and eggs for breakfast. And this tells me all I need to know about you as a player. Because I hear you talking about your contributions and what you did on that shift. He goes, for breakfast, the chicken made a contribution, but the pig made a commitment. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> that was the Fred Shiro contribution versus commitment story, <laughs> which is one of my favorites to tell, by the way. The pig made a commitment. But you're right. Like, you very seldom... Uh, see if, if ever players ego checking each other like oh really you think that you really did something out there oh yeah that's wonderful we just lost to the Blackhawks we just lost to this lottery <laughs> team 
and we're supposed to be contenders for the Stanley Cup. That, that is a really unique one, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they're fine. I, I think I think like everyone else, I've heard the Elias Lindholm obsession with them, and and I think that's the quintessential second line guy that you want behind McKinnon. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, who obviously can also put the puck in the net too. So like, like you said, they're they're a team that is never shy about about dramatically reshaping the roster in season if necessary. So if things don't turn around, I'm sure they will pull the trigger on something. But again, as as someone who uh, is is going to be a paying customer to see the New Jersey Devils twice this week, I say to you, I wish other teams Ooh. had those problems. <laughs> what uh, what did you make of? We talked about John Tortorella and the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, not the best game for one of my favorite players in Jack Hughes last night. Tough turnover. Well, there were two biggies. Uh, tough turnover last night. Uh, Owen Tippett ices it. Uh, 3-2 was the final score. Uh, and in the process, Sammy Erson looks like the new number one in Philadelphia. More on that later. Uh, where are you at with New Jersey right now? It seems to me like it, it very much feels to me like this is a team that is on, has been on the verge and is still on the verge of doing something to address both the goaltending and one more defenseman. Yeah, and I think that's that's really what it is right now is that the, the, the goaltending was really faulty early in the season. It killed them. Um, it's not been great, but it's been a little bit better since then. But they're still dealing with the aftermath of losing Dougie Hamilton, which I still think is like one of the most underreported stories in the league. Like one of the... One of the up totally and coming agree. teams in this totally league lost, lost, lost. You know their best defenseman potentially for the year with the torn pack. I don't know if there is any replacing him necessarily, but um, you know I, they're a team that is certainly trying to just find consistency. There have been times since the Hamilton injury where they've looked great and they've looked like the Devils and they're skating up and down and using their speed to create turnovers and and control the the, the, the tone and tenor of the game. Um, and then there are times when they just look frustrated and disengaged like they did against the Ducks on Sunday. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm taking my kid to see Connor for the first time on uh, Thursday. Nice. And then uh, running it back with the uh, wings over the weekend. So I always enjoy being able to get a different perspective on this team. And by that, I mean drinking a beer while watching them in the arena. So I'll, I'll report back <laughs> after that. Um, are you going to tell your kid, uh, when you used to do the old MVSW podcast, you laughed at your co-host when he said, Greg Wyshynski, I've seen the future of hockey and his name is Connor McDavid. You know, I, I do tell people that the fact that you were, you were a McDavid guy, like when McDavid was, had an umbilical cord attached to him, uh, basically, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you, you should take pride in that. And, and maybe even like, since you have uh... the. I mean, we could probably dig up the pods somewhere. Like, you could probably use that as a calling card if you ever want to gig as a scout. Like, I identified the best prospect it's, in Canada. The, no, listen, you know what it was? It was uh, Jeff Jackson, when he was an agent, uh, called me up and said, uh, I'm going to show you the future of hockey. Meet me at the Hershey Center tonight. We're going to see this Connor McDavid kid. And I went, Sam Bennett was on that team, too, and Josh Hosang, and Jade Lindo, and Jeremiah Addison. Like, good player, Roland McEwen. But McDavid, like then, just looked so, like a pro player when he was 14, so you didn't, 15 you didn't, years old. You didn't discover the Beatles, but you know the guy who told you that he had discovered the Beatles. The guy, the, guy, the guy told me to meet him there at the rink. Say, come meet me at the Hershey Center, <laughs> dummy. 
I want to show you something. <laughs> now, he was trying to recruit Conor McDavid. This one, he was an independent representing Sam Gagne. He ended up going to Bob Your Group, where Jackson oh, yeah. went eventually, and that splintered off to Wasserman, and now he's the president of the uh, how does he So, yeah, he's, the, trying uh, recruit, the, uh, he's trying to recruit McDavid, and, he's, and he the, bought uh, you Edmonton along. Orders. And you're like, Conor... Connor, he's, he's trying to recruit McDavid. He brings along the biggest celebrity he knows. He goes over to Connor. He's like, Connor, do you are you familiar with the iDesk, sir? Because uh, I've got a surprise for you. <laughs> I told you what uh, I got to hustle on this one. But you, I, I told you what uh, what Crosby said to Colby Armstrong about yeah. uh, when he started working oh. media, and Colby's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I started working. I'm doing a lot with Jeff Merrick, and he goes, what the iDesk guy? Oh, I love that <laughs> the iDesk guy. Um, all right. Thanks for those happy memories. Uh, you be good. Listen, uh, best of you and your family Christmas time and into the new year as well. We will, we will chat soon, my friend, and, uh, have a good time seeing Connor McDavid with your daughter. Enjoy, bud. Hopefully. Hopefully. Thanks everybody. Take care. Happy holidays.